News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. Good morning, Richmond. What a beautiful day at 308 Broad Street, the studios of WLEE News Talk 990. This is Richmond Biz Live, a business talk show focused on growing your business, and the older the company, the better. If you think about, if you think it's time for your company to begin to perform and pay you back for all the years of no checks, blood, sweat, and tears, you're in the right spot. As a matter of fact, why don't you become the focus of our conversation and call us in? Uh, so join us on our journey as we're helping Richmond grow its economy one business at a time at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or for those of you in an automobile, 844-BIZLIVE, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. Okay, uh, here we are today. Every segment, and I'll talk about who's with us in a moment, every segment and every topic is authored by a business expert who was also a business owner. So what is not happening is you're not getting theory here. This is what we're doing, either the advice we're providing our clients or how we're running our own businesses. And we will be here for you every Saturday at exactly 10.06. And this is the place for you to be, where we're going to help you grow your company. Uh, so today's show, what we're going to do, we, I've got Lena Heath back. She's uh, our financial expert on small business, and she's going to be talking about uh, the fun topic of variable cost. And then um, I'm filling in for our good buddies at Firestarter Group, Eric McCama. Eric is under the weather today, uh, but since I wrote all the best practices, I have no problem talking about brand and strategy, trust me. And then we have Mike Carroll uh, from Sandler Training. Um, Focus Business is his component of that. And he's going to be talking about, um, you know, somebody's trying to call me. I don't want, I don't want that phone call. Um, he's going to be talking about uh, uh, account management. And then finally, what we've got is owner and executive, and I'm going to be back on talking about the issue of individual treatment of people. And then we're going to close shop with our featured guest, which is Jill Schlesinger, who is the CBS Business uh, News Correspondent. She does economics. She has her own website, Will on, uh, Jill on Money. And so that's what we got planned for you today. Okay, so let me rock. Let me see here. Um, the way, the way the show's configured is that each one of our um, segment owners are going to be talking about uh, their topic areas, and we've structured this kind of like a uh, Radio TED, 10 minutes, where they're going to be talking about a particular topic. It's a standalone, and uh, we're going to cover three questions. Why is this critical? Why should you be hearing about this? Number two, as a business owner, how do you, what are the benefits to you and your business? And then number three, how do you get it done? And then we'll close with how you can contact us or receive our resources um, you know, from our website, etc. And, of course, you always have the option of calling us at 844-249-5483. That is 844-249-5483. And people get mad at me when I do my New Yorker routine. But anyway, um, and how do we start this show? So I just want to give you kind of an overview of this first time you're on. Uh, on Saturday mornings, I can remember sitting around going, uh, as I'm working on my business, gee, I wish there was some way or some topic where somebody would be talking to me about things like, are we on plan, which is uh, basically how we doing in marketing and sales. Are we on schedule? What are we doing around our, our deliverables and what we promised our customers and clients? What is the status of cases? Status of cases being who is happy or unhappy with us? Have we done a good job or haven't we done a good job over the week? And then finally on budget, how are we doing? Where, do we, where are we in terms of cash flow? And so that is really the genesis of the program. And with that, that said, you know what? I bet you there's a lot of other business owners sitting around at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning uh, trying to work their way through all this so they can take the afternoon off and spend it with the family. And of course, that's only if you're in B2B. If you're in retail, you're probably working on Saturdays. Uh, but anyway, I figured we'd, uh, we would talk to you about some of the things that you could do to run your business. Like I said, uh, there, there are no... Um, the, uh, the, there's no theory in our shows. It's all about practical tools that you can use. And so with that, um, I recommend you call in at 844-249-5483 or 844-BIZ-LIVE. And as we move into the first topic area, what we've been doing is on the financial side, uh, we've been talking about first how to restructure your debt. 
Then we talked about last uh, our last show about fixed costs, and now we're talking about variable. So I'd like to welcome back into the studios Linda Heath from Financial Holographics. Linda. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm just rolling this morning. Yes, you are. So I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. How many consultants does it take to change a light bulb? Oh, uh, how much money do you have? No, it only <laughs> takes one, but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good i know our, good. our listeners have probably heard that before but that will become relevant toward the end of our okay. conversation this morning and so i'm glad you touched on um the three things that we've done or the two things we've done in prior sessions i thought it might be helpful to our listeners to sort of see the logical flow and the idea of restructuring debt that we did two sessions ago was if a company is struggling they're they've passed the multi-million dollar mark they've been in business 20 years or so they um have done well the recession hit them hard they haven't quite come back that's been sort of our target audience and they have bank debt they want to get ahead of that curve and figure out what their debt structure should be where it may be askew and go to the bank and work on a restructure and getting right. terms that are favorable to them as opposed to being right. on the receiving end when the bank says enough is enough right and they've lost control of their borrowing process because everybody understand what we're trying to do is we're looking at the present situation and trying to find money in the current situation <laughs> right Right. So finding money might be getting the bank to lower the payments or stretch something out and give you time to get where you want to go. And then two weeks ago, we talked about managing your fixed costs, which we generally think of as overhead. And we know that the smart operators, the ones that are still in business, took care of the low-hanging fruit when things got tight. But the, um, the reality is overhead grows during the good years. Um, if the business hasn't bounced back to quite where they thought it should be, there may be some ways to restructure or rethink that whole overhead piece. So we talked about that a little bit. And today with the variable costs, this is a big one because this is really a, a report card. The banks sort of look at how management is doing. And we're talking about variable costs, the direct costs that go up or down when sales go up or down. Right. And, and, and in fact, that's what I'm doing right now in Southwest Virginia. Okay. Working on I'm, I'm living in this, yes. Okay, good. Well, I'll get you to chime in okay. as we go with some real world for manufacturing. Um, but the banks scrutinize that, and they have access to industry information. Um, if our CEOs, our listeners don't have that, they need to get that information because um, even suppliers that maybe grade them per year mm-hmm. or outside investors, if they think they need more capital, people want to know, are you competitive? And if you can't manage that part of the business on par with your industry, um, it really reflects badly on management. Okay. So um, do you want to tell me, you were talking about variable costs. Do you want to tell me a couple of things you're hitting on right now? Uh, yeah, well, one of the areas of variable costs, the, the project that I'm working on, we've got three initiatives going on in the plant. But the one I'm working on personally um, as, the, uh, as the VP is the number two guy is inventory. And so what we're doing is they've never looked at inventory other than what is physically in the plant. And what we're now doing is we've got, we've changed the whole concept is that there's vendor-held inventory, there is in-transit inventory, and then there's inventory that you have that you receive. Well, the stuff you receive, you have to pay for. Right. And so the clock starts ticking on your AP, on your accounts payable. But the stuff that they're holding for you, the clock isn't ticking. So what we're now doing is we're they're actually holding our inventory at the vendor site so we know we have secured the materials that we need so that now we can number do two things. One, practice just in time on our delivery process, uh, which is an art onto itself. But number two is that we're holding the inventory theoretically, but we're not paying for it. That's great. That's And you touched on one of the things that I was going to, going to bring up. Um, so purchasing and procurement. There are a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of uh, science and technology now added to that field where mm-hmm. perhaps when these – CEOs started their companies, there was a little more of a seat-of-the-pants feel and very heavily relationship-oriented. And while that's important, I think we need to get more science into how we're running these businesses. And so, um, you know, if you have an industry where you're buying raw material or you're buying finished goods in order to have something to sell, um, then one of the things can be shopping suppliers. I mean, maybe you've become so settled in those relationships. Maybe some new suppliers have seized opportunities in the market. Yes. And they may have a different perspective and they may want your business well enough to help you. Um, maybe you've gotten too cozy with the relationships or it feels like it's too much trouble to engage in that kind of project and they need to delegate. Um, then another one would be maybe you have too many suppliers of key items and you could get better quantity discounts by consolidating. Um, then you touched on uh, the just-in-time component of it. Uh, one of the things I was thinking, too, is you always need to look at your lines what you're selling, 
Um, maybe you will never get a good margin on a certain line, and maybe there are some hidden costs of supporting that customer right. base or that geography or that product, and you just need to weed right. it out. And Linda talked about this several shows back when we got into act- activity-based costing, but if you don't know what your true cost of production are, is that you w- you'll miss this. That's right. You won't if you don't have some data coming from your accounting and finance folks. Um, so you've already shared a trade say, trade secret. I want to kind of move on to the labor component. Okay. Because that's what I'm observing is is really wreaking havoc in the marketplace. And I had a really interesting conversation yesterday that I'll share with the group. Um, but so in the manufacturing, you've got employees who are handling the raw materials or handling the product. They're assembling or packaging goods. They're quality inspecting it for quality and so forth. They're mm-hmm. shipping it out the door. Um, construction trades are a big labor pool, and I owned a company for eight years. Uh, the only way you make money in construction or any kind of project-oriented business is if you bid the job right to begin with, and right. that takes a very special talent. Right. And then you've got to have a team of people who are going to put it in the way you bid it. They can't get creative on the job. No. And they can't get you know we, their idea of a good time. The company that I'm working with as VP is exactly that. I mean, it, really? it, oh, yeah, gosh, and it is... Bad. Yeah, the estimation process, the project management process, the production process, installation process. And every every I wouldn't say that everything is broken, but everything could use a substantial upgrade. Gotcha. Well, in, in our business, we just made a decision to work only with subcontractors for all the labor we needed on our projects. Mm-hmm. We worked on fixed price contracts, so I basically pushed out the labor problem to those vendors. And... Um, you know, that's how I solve the problem, but you can't well, always do that. Yeah, Mike, you- Mike Carroll's find a sweet spot. You, That was your sweet spot. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's true. And um, then that kind of moves us to the B2B or professional services businesses where not only is labor the primary way you deliver your product or service or your service, but it's very high-priced labor. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I've seen, I've had clients that have really struggled with this. They go out and they engage the client on a fixed price basis for a fixed scope of work. Right. And then they send out the consultants or the expensive people and they're paying them hourly. And so you've got to disconnect between your pricing model and your costing model. A- a- amen to that. And you can almost watch your margin shrink. Um, yeah, well, oh, definitely. Every time card. Especially, especially if you're paying the consultants by the hour and they're not being paid out of, say, the margin contribution. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I worked in a consulting firm where the consultants were all paid on uh, from the margin, from the bottom line, not the top line. So nobody let the clock run out, right? Because that and that, that's and that, that's what yeah. we're talking about. They've got right. to come up with new ways of managing that kind of process if they want to stop struggling. That's right. Billing a client is not going to work because you're really billing us, right? Because the client has already paid what they're going to pay. That's right. That's right. So um, here's some things that successful companies are using in best practices for leading their people. Uh, first of all, making sure you have key performance indicators so that you know that when these are done to your standards, the business is going to benefit from it. Every industry has them. And um, I've seen a couple of interesting ones. One was billable minutes per labor hour as a measure of efficiency for that Mm -hmm. business. Another was number of hangers and joints completed per day. Um, Using technology wherever possible to track performance and provide reporting. And the example that our listeners have probably been exposed to, you call into a customer call center and they go, this call may be recorded for training purposes. Yeah, but, yeah. but they're watching to see if the people are you know, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Training new hires and ongoing. I think training is a lost art in a lot of these companies. You just throw people, you hire people, you say they can do the job, you throw them into it, but they don't know how you do it in your business or how you want that, it done. That's right. And, and we have that problem. We okay. don't onboard people very well. Right. And that's a huge problem. Um Creating an environment where team members train each other. One of the benefits about that is your shining stars get some preferential treatment. They're presented as uh, right. very competent, and people work, not always for money, but sometimes it's for that personal resident right. recognition and satisfaction. Um, and then they can bring their peers up to speed much right. more quickly. Um, the HR best practices I want to run by quickly. I was talking with a professional, and he talks about the horror stories where management won't comply with laws until somebody reports them to the labor department. And he said there's a study that's come out. 52% of your employees are not engaged, and another 18% are actively disengaged, which means they're trying to sort of vomit discontent right. in the business. Of course, my personal reaction was, well, then make them all leave their cell phones in the car, and they can use them on the lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because I'm an old fart. But um, – what I wanted to say, let me just give you a quick math. I know we're short on time. But if you have a company doing a million dollars a year, 
they have maybe 30 percent is cost. Uh, that's three hundred thousand dollars a year. Seventy percent of that three hundred thousand labor expense is discontented, disengaged, working against you. Um, rats. <laughs> I, listeners, I'm learning how to use my cell phone as a stopwatch. I apologize. And now anyway, she's sitting on it. I love a million it. dollar a million dollar company is lucky to have a fifty thousand dollar bottom line if two hundred and ten thousand of your labor expenses disengaged or working against you think what a change that if you're in manufacturing and you've got more if you got more than a 10 percent net net at the end of the day in other words a dime is left of the dollar you're doing pretty well in manufacturing so with your numbers uh you could be not making any money at all because of disengagement of employees that's right and i absolutely agree with that cost and so um they can reach me through the website we won't go through that i know we're over our time uh, but anyway, so in this example, management is the light bulb, and it needs to want to change. And and what I'll say to you as, as we close out is that the biggest change that I've seen where I'm working is that everybody's engaged, that they're finally we're, ta- they're, we're talking to them, they're engaged, and I haven't seen this much energy out of this group of people mm-hmm. since I've been there. Mm-hmm. And we, what all we're doing is tapping into what you're talking about is is getting more than the 20% engaged that typically are in a company. So, Linda, thanks. Thank you. And um, I will, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Okay. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Join me Saturday mornings at Richmond Biz Live for live answers to your nagging questions. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. Hi, my name is Eric McCalma, CEO of the Firestarter Group. With over 75 years of collective experience, our team of experts works relentlessly to uncover your organization's unique identity, focusing on the most effective means of communicating your brand. We believe successful branding establishes an emotional connection between an organization and its target audiences. The days of old business models are over. It's time to rethink your business. Welcome to Firestarter. Visit us at firestartergroup.com or richmondbizlive.com and take our complimentary 30-second brand audit to gauge where your brand is at today. And we're back. And this is not Eric McCama, and this is not Firestarter Group. This is Bill Eastman from um, GrowthWorks and the executive producer of the show. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm now going to be talking about our segment uh, from Brandon Strategy on the issue of adding value to customers and service to existing versus selling uh, to new customers. So uh, here's the deal that where we are so far is that when we started off talking about this was predominantly a branding issue uh, as we were building the case that branding is primary uh, is the primary issue uh, in any in any organization in terms of uh, over strategy. You know, a lot of companies get confused between the two. Strategy is a subset of of your branding because brand is what you're really trying to do, the image you're trying to create in the, in the marketplace. So in, in these last two segments, this one and then the one uh, in two weeks, is going to be all focused on your strategy as a company. And the deal here becomes is that strategically, what do I need to do is I need to be looking for ways to make my clients more profitable. Now, I'm going to try not to get into the sales aspect of this because uh, that's where Mike Carroll is going to go next. But what I'm going to be talking about is as a, an organization that is collecting market intelligence and doing the things I've got to do to say, here's what's going to happen in the future. What am I, where am I really focused? I'm focused on trying to figure out what's happening to my most profitable accounts and what can we do as a business to make them more profitable. So some of those things are predominantly sales in nature, but a lot of those issues are more about how we run the business. And so, for example, do we take into account uh, our clients when we would put together a yearly business strategy because I think that in any of the organizations that I've worked in and certainly within ours uh, one of our strategic initiatives is about making our customers more profitable and so one of the focuses that we take whenever we work in an account is we look around for ways that they could be more profitable and then we look at the infrastructure of our company and say okay, we do this very well, let's bring that service to them. So, for example, what we're doing in Southwest Virginia with a manufacturing company is that we've got extensive background in inventory management. Well, now we're going to bring that expertise to that organization 
and basically just plug it right in. And so one of the things that you got to do as a business, part of your strategy has got to be, how do I make my customers more profitable? Now, of course, I'm talking about this from a B2B perspective and not from business to retail. If you're talking business to retail, then typically retail is, we're talking about people that it's more about lifestyle now, unless they're buying a commodity. And so, for example, if people are buying gasoline or things of that nature, it's probably much more of less of a feature buy, and it's more on a on the issue of well, what are some of the comparisons that we can make uh, between the other suppliers? So commodities are usually driven by price, uh, but on the other hand, if I'm selling some higher order end issues, then it's much more of a lifestyle issue. Uh, why do people buy the cars that they buy? Well, they're, for most people, cars are a lifestyle statement. It's not about a set of wheels. Uh, to get me from A to B. Um, it's, it's, and if you don't believe that, just watch the ads on TV. Uh, so the, the issue there in retail is more of how, do, how does this add to their lifestyle, to their conveniences, or how does it add to their image? In business, everything that we do when we sell to businesses is are we adding to their profitability, which now gets me to the second piece is that as a company, I have to get a balance going on because what so many firms do, do, and we're having that challenge ourselves in Southwest Virginia, is they put all their emphasis on the acquisition of accounts and nothing uh, really around servicing what they've got. Well, if you haven't grown the company in the right way and you don't have the, the right people in place uh, in terms of your labor force, then what happens is that all your energy and effort is at acquiring accounts or acquiring customers. You bring them in, and now you don't have the ability to either produce or usually what happens, you can handle the, 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 the capacity demands, but what doesn't happen is you don't have the people in place to service those accounts. So you do an excellent job of bringing them in and selling them stuff, but the experience of buying from you, the experience of owning it, the experience of consuming it is not a very good one. And then what happens uh, is that the customer is not very happy. And remember, we talked about this before. I know Mike, uh, Mike Carroll and I have gone through this is that it's five times more uh, expensive to gain a new account than it is to service an existing account. And so why is that? Well, it's pretty, it's pretty simple in that you got the cost of goods sold to go after accounts. So what you're basically doing the first time you get a new customer, unless it's an incredibly profitable customer, is you've bought the business. You basically went out there and spent the money to bring them in, and you have to have that customer for some period of time. Otherwise, what you're not going to do is you're not going to make any money off of them. And so those are the two things that we have to constantly consider. One is, what value are we providing to customers? When customers buy from us, what value do we provide? And if it's a B2B buy, then pretty much it's how do we make them more profitable? It can either be that we're affecting them on the top line and we're helping them gain more revenue, or we're helping them on the bottom line and we're helping them eliminate cost and uh, therefore they're being more profitable. What we're currently doing right now in uh, Southwest Virginia is the, the current initiative is what we call the 15 initiative. 15% increase in productivity, 15% decrease in cost. And if they do those two things, they'll see an increase of 15% in their gross margin from last year to this year. And trust me, if you're right on the bubble, you're just barely losing money, a 15% increase in, in uh, gross margin has a tremendous impact on profitability. And so if you want any more on that, what you can do is you can come to our website at richmondbizlive.com and take a look at the resource section, or you can, you can basically give me a buzz. Um, you can call me through this number, 844-249-5483. Uh, that's um, 844-BIZLIVE. Or go ahead and go to the website, and there you can get that information uh, on how we're doing that. But the key thing here in my strategy piece is I have to make sure that what I'm doing is However, customers interpret value is part of our strategic process. We put it in there. It's how we build what we do. And so it's almost an afterthought. We've got to know that. And if we do, then it makes it easier for the sales force on the front end of this to make it happen, as well as it's easier for the service department to make it happen on the back end. And the other side of that is that we've got to understand is that we have to give existing accounts, servicing those existing accounts, as much attention and priority as we do for getting new ones in the door because ultimately our margins on the older business is far better than the margin on the new business. And that's really what this is about. It's not how much money I make, it's how much money I keep. And so that's kind of my two cents on the brand and strategy piece. Now what we're going to do now is we're going to begin to move over and say, okay, 
we've taken this from a brand perspective and a strategy perspective. Let's talk about this uh, from a perspective of sales. And what I'd like to do is reintroduce back to uh, the show uh, my good friend Mike Carroll at, uh, at Focus Business, part of the Sandler Institute. And what Mike is going to do is he's going to talk about it from that end. And by the way, we have covered this several times in the process. So this will not be new news to anybody here. So good morning, Mike. How you doing, man? Hey, Bill. Always great to be here. Okay. Pretty fast-paced week uh, oh. this past week. How about yourself? Oh, man, I tell you what. We've just started implementing three major initiatives. I own inventory. Uh, we've got a new operations manager in the plant who is handling uh, lean on the floor. And then we've got uh, we've got uh, a major initiative. Where, where else are we working here? Oh, yeah, we've got something going on in install. So we... We basically have got three major initiatives going on at the same time, and I had I had one of those weeks where I had three hours sleep a night for like four days. So this is my day off, so well, to speak. <laughs> well, we've got uh, another topic this week that we could probably spend a half a day on, and uh, well, that's why they got to get a hold of you after the show, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're talking, um, you know, we had on the, you know, on the agenda, uh, strategic account management, right. And, uh, you know, why that's important. And when you really look at it, I'd kind of like to take us back to a couple topics that we covered earlier. Let's do that. Yeah, we talked about the sweet spot customer. Mm -hmm. We talked about identifying our target market. And in those processes, we really are building that profile, which means now that if, if that particular prospect becomes a customer, we've already got a lot of a lot of good information as far as what's going on in that account. So, but we want to take that to the next level. We really want to refine that process. And when I work with my clients, you know, one of the things we do is really develop a strategic account plan. Right. And it's a hard copy. So, right. Let's talk. you, You want to talk about that in some detail? Well, I want to get into, you know, I want to talk about some of the benefits. Okay. And then we'll talk about how to do it. Um, You know, when you really think about, uh, you know, why it's so important, Mm -hmm. uh, you you knock out the the fact that if we don't really know what's going on in an account, and we, in the cast of characters, you know, Sandler has these uh, little unique uh, topics that we use, but cast of characters is really where you look, into an account uh, and determine every individual in there that could have an influence right. on the procurement and the, u- the the actual utilization of your product or service. And yet we call it the stars, right. the co-stars, the supporting right. actors, and the bit players. Yeah, it's, it's, some, it's almost like you get a couple of degrees of separation. Who is the decision maker? Who are the influencers? Absolutely. So you know who you've got to touch yeah. in the account. Absolutely. And, and you really need, you know, once you start to engage, and, of course, when you're taking them through uh, the sales process, you're learning a lot of that as you go along. Right. I mean, and, you know, if you have the ability to get in there and, and, and talk to the various people, you get lots of information. You know, we call the bit, bit players. They're the ones that actually use. They're oh, using yeah. your products and services, and they are loaded with information. And, by the way, if you don't have a CRM, you'll never record this and capture it and be able to use it. That's right. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that is it's kind of interesting because I don't want really to get off on that tangent, but I, I, I spent I spent uh, uh, three days up in Baltimore at Sandler School, and one of the things that uh, we were talking about is how you can refine uh, and use your CRM to capture all that information. Uh, but I've always, you know, my my past life, I I did a pretty good job of moving around within accounts and. And finding out who those users were, because they can tell you a lot of information. So, the but the yeah, it is it, it really is critical to to always. And once you go through the sales process, they they come with you as a client or a customer. Uh, the 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 tactical management of that account is just really starting, because now we need to understand personalities. Right. Of course, we talked about market trends. We need to know their business. Uh, what's the culture of their business? You know, what are their procurement, uh, procurement processes? Right. So, and we, we develop a checklist on mm-hmm. all those things. Um, so, 
And the benefits, I mean, the benefits is, uh, especially in the initial stages uh, of the sales process, when you're trying to bring them on, is depending on how complex your sales process is, it's very expensive most of the time. So you really have to understand, you know, what is the makeup of that account. Right. So if you're going to spend the money, then actually do a good job of it. Absolutely. I mean, yes. I mean, and you know, I mean, you've been in some, in your past, you've been in scenarios where tens of thousands of dollars can go in the preparation of doing uh, proposals and putting uh, well, tests, uh, you know, tests. Uh, I, I told you that we, we figured out that to get the first visit cost five grand. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, there's no sale in the first visit, but to get the first meeting cost us $5,000. Right, right. So, this, you know, when you go back and we talked about we got to know the persona of our sweet spot customers. Well, as that moves, we have to then become very tactical about how we build that relationship. And that's, uh, you know, last time we talked, well, we talked a couple times ago about market trends. Right. Well, that's another thing that should be in your strategic account management. Mm-hmm. What are the trends that are out there that are going to have potentially could have an impact? Because it's pretty much a known fact. If if you're going to develop loyalty with your customers, you've got to show them that you're absolutely in the game with them. Yes. Okay? That you are there to help them. Uh, help them be more productive in what they're doing give them the ability to focus on the things that makes right. them money and, and what i found mike is because we did market research search for our clients we understood those market trends and when we went to a sales meeting we would always tell them something they didn't know right. they would always take a sales call from us because they knew that we were not going to waste their time absolutely that's a challenge that i throw at all of my clients is you know every interaction uh, every call face to face, you better bring some value, right? And you, and you don't go in winging it. You've got to have studied different things, and it it may not even it be something of it may be something that's not totally related to what you're doing, but it's an idea that will help them, right? I mean that's uh, but market trends build in there. Uh, you know the uh, you know how do you really go about developing a good strategic account plan is is uh, is really start to outline and, and have your plan. And you said CRM. But if you don't have a CRM, and a lot of us, CRMs are tough. Oh, I know. <laughs> no, I, I know. I didn't I didn't say it was easy. I just said, you know, it's like a good accounting system. It's tough to do, but you can't go anywhere without one. Right, right. Well, that's um, actually brought me a little, little cheat sheet. Oh, yeah. This is just one of our profile uh, account planning that we use. How many pages there? It's actually six. Outstanding. Uh, What's some of the highlights? Well, you know, some of the high. We talk about what are the key trends, okay? What's the situation with competition? Right. You know, do they have existing relationships? Once you identify the cast of characters, who are going to be your sponsors? And who are folks that could be influencing the decision that might have the relationship with the competition? Uh, So you really, we just go through kind of a checkoff. Of course, we talked about we got to know what their buying process is. We got to know who the decision makers are, and um, you want to know the culture. I think I mentioned that yeah. earlier. But you do you want to understand the culture of the company? And again, I go back to you know what are some of the benefits? You know, you want to spend your time where your opportunities are going to convert into right. business. So that's one of the things that we want to be looking at. You know, another thing is. You know, how do you continue to touch those particular cast of characters? Right. You know, and that's where you become tactical as, hey, what information? If I'm dealing with production, if I'm dealing mm-hmm. with with maybe the CEO, and this is where you get into the content that's out there, the white papers, the articles. Right. You want to be sending right. them out. Yeah, it, it, marketing terms, we call it drip marketing, but really what you want is a plan of how each of the major players – how often should I touch them? How should I touch them? And what should I touch them with? Absolutely. So I'm always in front of them in a way that they're looking forward to it, and it's not obtrusive. Right. Here's a good one. Right people, right time, and place. Right people, right time, and place with the right information. Put it up on the wall somewhere. Okay. And ask that question of, of your salespeople. Are we getting it done? 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, that checklist, that's... You got? Uh, do you have something on your website or something related to that? that well, you this was not that? on the website, but Patrick would have to do that. That's what yeah. can be well, done. Well, Patrick could do that. I was just, you know, I, that would probably speak volumes uh, to our listeners about what they need to be doing with their with their business in terms of sales. Sure, and and yes, and it, I guess the best thing to do is give me a call. All right, you know, eight zero four three three seven two eight nine eight is my cell. Two one seven nine five zero seven is the office, the website, focusbusiness.sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. But let us know because we have some really good templates that will give you that checklist. And if you've been following the show and writing down all the bullets, you probably already have the checklist just to give you some sense of what we've been doing here. But if if, if a lot of them are like me, I I need something. Yeah, get a hold of Mike is the right answer. (laughs) Okay, hey, Mike. Thanks for being in the studio. Good seeing you, Thank there, my you, friend. Thank you, Bill. Enjoyed it. And we'll Thank be back. You. Sure. Hi, Mike Carroll of Sandler Training here in Richmond. Do you know the three most commonly made sales mistakes? Are you or your salespeople at fault? Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your free report, the three biggest sales mistakes you should never make. In this report, discover these unproductive sales strategies and what to do about them. Finally, take the pressure out of selling and reach your desired sales result. Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your copy now. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is WLEE News Talk 990, and this is Richmond Biz Live, and I am happy to have back in the studio Jill Schlesinger from Jill on Money, Jill part of the CBS News Organization, and a business expert. Welcome back to the show, Jill. Oh, it's so great to be with you. Um, I am happy to – we are very lucky. Our listeners are lucky to have you on. Uh, While we were offline, you and I were talking, and uh, I had asked you what you thought one of the great challenges facing small business owners was, and you had said the retention – attracting and retaining key talent. Um, And and I couldn't agree more. Could you you expand on that? Sure. I mean, look, I I think that what's so hard is that when you're a small business owner – what are you competing with? You know, you are competing with all these big companies that have these rich benefits packages. You're uh, competing maybe with places that are a little bit more glamorous. And so how do you bring people in who want to buy into your vision? And I think that you've got to be very specific about what your company does and what it can offer. Because, of course, this is a two-way street. You know, the recession is now uh, over five years, and people don't just take any job. You want the right people who are going to be motivated by your message. And you know what? You can't create some baloney line and not live up to what you actually are saying because they won't last. So make sure that you understand what your organization does, what kind of opportunities it provides, and you have to articulate that to the people that you're interviewing. And just a note about that interview process, boy, is it important. My goodness, there's so many great lessons learned. You're sitting in an interview and you're asking questions and there's something about, you know, you look at the resume and you say, could this this guy or gal, I think it you know, should be great on paper, but something's not sitting right with you. Don't hire the person. Yeah, Trust your gut. You know, you know what you're, what you like and what you yeah. don't like. A friend of mine who's a uh, employment consultant once said to me, you know, if you don't like this person and you're a small company, you probably shouldn't hire them. Because the reality is it's too small an environment. You really want to bring people on who you want to be in your organization. Absolutely, and and the thing to consider is that, especially if you're looking at enthusiasm and attitude, it'll never be better than the interview. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> 
know what? I think that, you know, certainly people are very smart in the way that they are interviewing and they're approaching. I think that both sides of the equation, the employer and the employee, have gotten better at really making most of the interview process. But, you know, small things do matter. I think that if you get the sense that somebody hasn't done his or her homework, you know what? That's not okay in this world. Someone's got to come in and understand at least, you know, hey, what does this company do? And on the other side, you have to come into the interview taking that process seriously. It can't just be that, you know, your, your chief operating officer says, hey, go talk to this woman. She's waiting out there, and you haven't even looked at that resume. Make sure you understand what are the questions I want to ask. What kind of person is going to be good in this job? And articulate that because not everybody's a good fit, right? You know, you, yes. you go on a lot of dates before you get married. <laughs> you want to really be clear about what the, what the type of person is going to be and, you know, on the other hand, what is your expectation? Don't mess around here. You might as well get it all out up front. Absolutely, because they do have to match what you're trying to do. You're trying to inspire people with the vision that you're creating for the company. The strategy is a way of employing that. And in many ways, the values of how the company operates is nothing more than internal branding. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting. There's a guy named Chester Elton who um, has written a number of books. He's uh, something called The Orange Revolution. And he's gone around and interviewed tons of employees and employers. And he talks about what motivates somebody to show up every day. And while you may think it's money, it's not. People want to work in an environment where they're heard. I have heard, I've, I've you know, seen stories where someone is going to work for a new company and they turn an offer down that's a better financial offer because they have the sense that in the organization where they're going to, they say, you know what, I want to work in a place where I can be part of creating something, that I buy into the value system of this organization. And that can be so important because people have to feel like there's more than just money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jill, in, in our last couple of minutes here, uh, what's the one interview tip that you could give our listeners, our business owner listeners? Uh, you know, my biggest interview tip is to try to not ask the typical interview question. I love when people say, you know, here's the questions you have to prepare for when you go to an interview. And then if you just give them those questions, then it, it's sort of silly. I would ask the question that's real that you're thinking about. Um, one of the questions that I like to ask somebody, you know, sort of in the middle of the interview when they're not, when they're, you know, sort of loosened up a little bit, I'd say, hey, what are the three words that best describe you? Give me three adjectives. And I learned that from a college admissions officer who told me that that is a question that he asks every single kid who comes on campus. And if the kid gives these baloney responses, you can see right through it. And if the kid answers really honestly, it becomes a great moment of getting to know who this person is in front of you. I can can definitely see that. In fact, you had me thinking about, what's the three that I would use? Yeah, what are your three? Um, Intense. Yeah. Quick. Uh-huh. In terms on the uptake, and then uh, passionate. Oh, I like that. Those are good. See, I like a how person about, who says passionate. S- you know, I, I would always, you know, in my mind, when I think about myself, I think of, you know, smart, funny, direct. Okay, I, and that sounds pretty truthful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Uh, doing two shows with us and again um, how, how do our listeners contact you Jill? well they can uh, send me questions and maybe if they want to come on my radio show it's askjill at jillonmoney.com and they can always go onto the website jillonmoney.com and you can download radio shows and watch TV clips on, from CBS and read my blog that is awesome and I'm, I'm going to be doing that so I greatly appreciate it you take care alright thanks so much for having me and wow, that that was really great of uh, Jill. Thanks, Jill. You know, it's it's almost like we script these shows out because where where was I going to go? And Jill was in the middle of that here in the last couple minutes, and that is the treatment of people. Uh, this is the segment on owners and executive, and and it's kind of the understanding that uh, that people need individual treatment. That there's that even though we try to do things as an organization, we try to do it as a group, we try to do it as a team, is that your recognition reward. Well, even punishment, if if you want to go there in this conversation, I'd rather stay upbeat, has to be individual because uh, there's nothing mass that works. There are some people for whom, like myself, if you were to give me public acclaim, um, I would actually take be taken back by that because it's not in my reward system. I would much rather have private praise 
Well, 90% of the people out there love it when you grab somebody aside and say, hey, thank you in front of everybody. I'm not one of those people because it's just it's just a style thing. And so the issue here is I've got to treat people individually, and I have to know them well enough to know exactly what are the things that are going to work for them. Also is that there's kind of a general theme of overall respect. So I'll start there because this is this really hit me hard um, this week. And so what I'm talking about with overall respect is just how you deal with people and how you treat them. Uh, the first issue here is, and I had a long conversation with the owner and president of the company who hired me to be his number two, and we were talking about stuff, and he was he said to me, you know, Bill, you gotta you gotta tell me when I'm off base and I gotta do something, and I and I and I said to him, well, I did, and we had a previous conversation where I said, you know, I've got everything lined up that if we have this done on Friday, then I can be ready to go with it on a Monday. And he just went, oh, yeah, you did, but you did it so nicely. And I, I said to him, there's no excuse for bad manners. I really believe in business. There is no reason for us to get in each other's face. There's no reason for us to treat people with disrespect. If you got somebody you disrespect, well, we got a decision about where they ought to be working. And so one of the rules I've always used, and it goes back to my military days when, and anybody that was in the military, you know that when you get assigned people, you're stuck. There is no firing people. Um, there is the issue of, of rotation and how long are they going to be with you versus how long you're going to be there. But if I, effectively, if I take over an apartment, I got five people in it until somebody gets transferred. Those are the five I have, and I don't have any choice, so I've got to make them work. And so that kind of taught me this thing of even with people that I dislike intensely and even with people who I think are out to lunch, one is I force myself to treat them with respect. I don't give them anything to hook onto to say that this individual doesn't like me or that this individual is not treating me fairly. And number two is no matter how out to lunch what they're telling me is, I know there's a kernel of truth in there that I can pick up on and use. And I am not going to let the fact that I have a blinder to this individual get in the way of me collecting some information that may be relevant to the business. But this issue of overall respect, I have, I'm seeing this happening right now not claiming that the business that I'm working with did not treat people with respect, but they just got caught up in everything and their energy and focus is on the latest fire. And what's happened is, is that the connection with people has been missing. And when we brought in a new operations boss to take over all of production, and um, he's a great guy, Jersey guy. Um, he's a kind of a bull in a China shop, but perfect person for the role he and i've been out there connecting with people and i can't tell you how charged the place is now they are waiting let's get going on this because as i was saying to um, linda is that what our mantra is is 15 15 let's find 15 percent increase in productivity let's find a 15 percent decrease in cost and we are going to have one great year and 15 percent to me in an organization that hasn't gone after it is a lay down now, if you've been doing lean manufacturing and you've been looking at quality and you've been doing that for a period of time, 15% may be hard to get. But if you haven't been doing anything, 15% is a lay down. And I've, we've got people so charged that they just want to get out there and they want to get it done. And why is that? It's because the respect that we're treating them, uh, that we're talking to them, that we're listening to them, that we're soliciting their input, and, and, their, and the interchanges that are being treated fairly. Now what we're doing is we're switching over to how do we develop a reward system that deals with those people on an individual basis. And so right now we are working on a pay-for-performance system. Now that's not necessarily where I wanted to go to say that this is a comp issue, but right now where we are at the plant is that uh, just like just about everybody else in the United States, they got seriously whacked in 2007. And since 2007, business hasn't been good. Well, their pay was comparable in 2007. Well, this is 2014. Now, number one is you're lucky to have a job. Yeah, but number two is at some point I need a pay raise. And because we are hesitant about raising fixed cost, here's what we're going to do. Our immediate solve for this problem is that the look at individual performance, give each person, develop with each person a scorecard, and then pay them for how they contribute to performance. And it's going to come down to really simple. Either they're doing something that contributes to the 15% productivity increase or they're doing something that contributes to the 15% decrease in cost. And if that happens, we're not going to pay it at an individual level. We're going to pay it at a work group level. But you can see where we're headed with this 
is that what we're going to begin to do is that we're going to show people that they can affect their checks. I mean, why does sales work so effectively? Sales works so effectively because salespeople, unless they're in a horrible organization, know how to affect their check. They can basically change their check monthly by how they work. Why, why can't we take this concept to the floor? And so what we do here is that we're building a system where people can get individual treatment, at least on the issue of pay. And of course, we're going to do that on the recognition side. We're going to recognize people differently. Also, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to assign people different types of informal roles in the organization. One of the things that I picked up when I worked at General Motors and Delphi Automotive for a number of years when I worked in manufacturing is that the people on the floor have some collateral duties like health and safety, or in our case, ergonomics and safety, or in the area of preventive maintenance, or in the area of quality. And so what we're going to begin to do is give everybody on a work team a role beyond just the working supervisor that your job is to watch what's going on around here and if somebody's doing something in an unsafe fashion and the working supervisor doesn't spot it, your job is now to either let that person know or let the supervisor know. All this is about is treating people individually, understanding them well enough to know what is it that they want. We've got people at the plant who want overtime, and so if I want to reward them, I give them more hours. i got people at the plant who have got young kids, some kids who are, have learning disabilities, etc. You have that in your workplace. Um, they don't want to work the weekends. They need to be home with the family and, and, and spell the husband or wife from the challenges of doing that. And so the, the key thing here is, number one, is have the mindset of overall respect. Treat every single person with dignity and the respect in the workplace, um, even when you think they don't deserve it, because this isn't about them. This is about you and what you stand for as a leader and what does your company stand for. And then once I do that, understand that what, how I deal with people has to be at an individual level. I have to treat them individually because each one of us are turned on by different issues. Each one of us you know, are rewarded by different issues. And so by doing that, I can kind of create an environment, and Linda talked about it, is that um, a lot of people are not engaged. In fact, there was a study done, and I'll leave you with this, and if you want to send me an email, you come to the website, drop me an email, I'll send you this study is that this guy by the name of uh, Yankelovich, back in the 1970s, this is one of the oldest studies going on in the United States. It's called Putting the Work Ethic Back to Work. And the original study, what he asked people was, how hard did they have to work to keep their jobs? And what he was establishing was kind of where the standards are based upon people's capacity or capabilities. And what he found, it was at about the 30% level. So imagine this. Most people are saying, if I give you 30% of what I'm capable, I can keep my job. How many of us can run a company that's going to survive where everybody in the company is working at 30%? Um, and that's a rhetorical question you don't have to answer back because I know what the answer on my end is. Nobody. And so how do I get that other 70%? How do I get to tap in that discretionary performance? Everything we've done in the show on leaders and executive, every done thing we've done on the show on people um, has been directed at that. But overall respect and individual treatment will get it done. So with that, what I'd like to say to you is thanks for joining us this Saturday. Um, it's a beautiful day outside in Richmond. Uh, we'll definitely come to the website. The, uh, the show will be up here in about an hour. You can download it. And with that, to all our listeners and to all the businesses in Richmond, success and wealth and prosperity to all. Thank you. Your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com. 